0: Oh, hey, I'm so glad you're back in the archive checking out this episode. I wanted to give you a heads up that while the episode you're about to hear may be a little bit older, we still stand behind all of our advice and actionable takeaways. However, we may mention resources that are no longer available. The best way to get our up-to-date resources is going to feelgoodretail.com podcast and checking out what we have there. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hey, welcome to Retail for the Rest of Us, a podcast for indie retailers. Hey everyone, welcome to Retail for the Rest of Us. Welcome back. Happy to have you here. Happy to be chatting with you. If I sound like I'm whispering, I might just be doing that. I am recording this podcast a little bit later than usual in my day because there is a new member of the Feel Good Retail team, and that member is my new puppy. (laughs) His name is Flapjack. He is the cutest angel on planet Earth, but I am truly terrified to wake him up because he's a puppy, and it's hard to get them to calm down. So I am recording this pod from my couch, not my usual flow, not my usual time. And that kind of feels really appropriate because today's episode is closing out our series about being resourced and examining some of the ways that resource plays a part in retail, especially indie retailers, because When we talk about resources, as I said on the introduction to this season, when we think about that, I think the clearest first thing to pop into our minds is money, right? And that's certainly part of it. I don't want to discount that at all. But I think when you're a small business or a solo operator, or even have a small team, It's not just the money that makes the difference. It's the energetic capacity of you and your team, um, how nourished you feel, how excited and creative and curious you feel, how much spaciousness you have, your lead times, things like your analytics, your platforms, all those things can be looked at through the lens of resource and how they help resource and nourish your business. And so this season, or these last few episodes, we have talked about a couple of different angles. We talked about analytics as self-care, a topic that I feel deeply passionate about, um, how to examine your marketing numbers and the results of your effort with a strategic lens and how that can help you fight decision fatigue and prioritize what direction to move in. We interviewed my amazing bookkeeper. I just wanted to say bookkeeper to the stars, (laughs) bookkeeper to the shopkeepers, Jackie Gala, all about how a bookkeeper or an accountant can be your business's BFF and why it's so important to keep track of where your money is going so that you can be more efficient and find that clarity. We talked about marketing and the different ways that you can build momentum off of Instagram specifically. In that episode, we talked about keywords, collaborations, and connections, and how you can really leverage the resources that are at your fingertips to get out there without relying on, you know it, the dreaded algorithm. And lastly, on our last and most recent episode, we talked to Nora Wolf, the founder of Wolf PR and Wolf Craft about what press even is. So in my mind, although I guess that could fall under the umbrella of marketing, I really thought about that as like your visibility and how comfortable you are pitching yourself, your resource being your story, right? Like what you have to say about your business and why it exists. Nora hosted an incredible free workshop for our community. Um, If you were not able to attend, that replay is available inside of the library as part of our seasonal stack for spring. The workshop itself was about building brand awareness using holiday gift guides. And there was a ton of actionable clarifying information in that workshop about why gift guides are important, how to sort of like Dip your toe in the world of getting comfortable with pitching yourself and your business to publications and also just preparing your business to be ready to pitch. We talked about things like photography, um, functionality of your website, and Nora answered some really great questions from indie retailers like you. So, if you're interested in that replay, along with a bunch of other resources you can join the library. It is our communal space for indie retailers to get access to resources for $5 a month. And it's an awesome way to support this show and support feel good retail. If you get value out of the things we create. So hope to see you in there. So this is actually our last episode of The season, quote unquote. We are making some changes to retail for the rest of us that I'm so excited about. Uh, Those details are going to come out soon, but just because this is big air quotes, our last episode, doesn't mean I'm going to leave you high and dry. In fact, we're going to be back with four mini episodes starting next week, which I'll tell you a little bit more about at the end of this episode, but Get pumped, it's going to be great. We're going back to being a weekly show, which I'm very, very thrilled about. Um, thank you to my amazing podcast producer, Amelia, who has really helped me hone my vision for what this show should be and will be and can be, and also has you know held space for my creative brain to just kind of like explore. So, I hope you've enjoyed this season. I hope that you feel resourced (laughs) by the resources that we're creating. And I'm really excited to tell you more about that. But today I really want to close out our series about resource. And so like I said, we've examined quite a bit this season. Um, We've looked at it from a lot of different angles. And with that has meant that I've gotten a ton of questions from you. I've put polls up on Instagram, I've received emails, I've gotten DMs, we have multiple opportunities for people to submit questions. So I wanted to take this kind of last piece and do a little Q&A about some of the things that were coming up repeatedly through this series. Um, not just because we were talking about resource, but just what is happening in the world of small business, and this like new reality we're living in. And I just felt like it was a really good time to touch base and dive into some of the things that are on your mind. So the way I kind of organized this, I'm going to say in advance that most of these questions I am going to paraphrase. When I started organizing my notes for this episode, there were some pretty clear through lines that came through and some repeating themes. And just based on me not wanting this to be a two hour long podcast, I limited it to six questions in three categories. So two questions for each category, and those categories are money, marketing, and mental health. So we're going to talk a little bit about those three areas of resource and answer two questions of each that felt like they were the most frequently asked or that other questions felt connected to that question itself. So I'm really excited to dive in. Before we do that, I just want to remind you again that this season one of the things we created for you is a quiz about where to start when you're building your sustainable sales strategy. So When we think about resource and we think about using resource, we want to make sure that there's like an equitable give and take, or that the relationship between our resource and what we need that resource to create, we want to make sure that at some point there's an equilibrium. And so that's where the idea of a sustainable sales strategy comes in where there's something that you're doing that is constantly and consistently fueling your business, refilling that cup, right? And so the three areas of a sustainable sales strategy falls into building an audience, creating context for that audience around your brand, and offering an amazing experience. Kind of what retail is, right? All of those things combined all of the time. That being said, there are different seasons for different areas of your business to be growing and thriving and getting the focus. And so if you have been listening to these episodes, or if you're totally new to the show and you're like, I don't know where to start, or you're feeling overwhelmed, this quiz is super quick. I think I was in type form earlier. I think it says it takes like two minutes to fill out super easy, just like multiple choice questions. Um, and we will give you suggestions on which of those three areas to start, as well as 11 ideas of how to get going, right? How to like take that area and really run with it. And so I have loved it. We've had dozens and dozens of people take this quiz. Everyone has had really interesting things to say. I've seen some really cool projects like, giveaways, some interesting collaborations, um, some cool opportunities to be like hosting community events that grew their reach, just all sorts of things that like, aren't on Instagram, um, and that actually give you a feeling of control, right? Whether you have control or not, eh, I'm laughing about that to myself because again, here I am on my couch, (laughs) sleeping puppy that I'm like low-key whispering not to wake up. So I don't feel very in control right now, but maybe I never was. Great. Right? Anyways, that quiz is great. You can go to take that on our website. Super easy. It's www.feelgoodretail.com quiz. Easy. And you'll find out where you can start building your sustainable sales strategy ASAP. So without further ado, let's hop into your questions. Okay. So let's start with the most obvious resource money, right? Money, 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 money rules, everything around me, more money, more problems. So question number one, and this is a hot topic, uh, based on the season that we've been in the last few months. If you're listening to this in the future, Hello, but this episode is being recorded like mid May of 2022. And so there has been a lot going on in the world of Etsy. So, Etsy, for those of you who are unfamiliar somehow, is basically a handmade marketplace or a marketplace that's online. It's not entirely handmade anymore. It started handmade and vintage. Now it's really expanded and there's a lot of other businesses on there, like drop shipping and things like that. But anyways, recently Etsy changed its fee structure and is charging the small businesses who operate on their platform. This is a very, um, want to interrupt myself to say this is a very, very, very like, high level look at what is happening with Etsy. I don't want to get too, too into the specifics of reporting or things like that. But I just want to give you context around this question. Essentially, Etsy is raising its fees for the vendors that sell on their site. And not only raising like their transaction fees, but there's all sorts of things where they are really making a lot of money and cutting into profits very, very significantly for indie retailers or makers or creative entrepreneurs on that website. And it feels really bad, especially because they're showing record profits. um, And it's just not a good feeling. And it really has made a lot of makers question whether they want to be on Etsy, how they could get off it if they decided they didn't want to be on there anymore. And really like wrestle with this question of like, what does e-commerce indie e-commerce look like post Etsy? If there is a post Etsy. So the question that I've been getting a lot is I'm on Etsy now. It's a huge source of revenue for my business, but It's cutting into my profits. Either it's cutting into my profits or I don't feel good about being on there anymore. So, what do I do? And this is a tricky question, right? Because there's like the very strategic, high level piece of it. Um, And then there's the emotional piece, right? And I don't feel like it's dissimilar to how a lot of us feel about Instagram, where we were like promised the world right. We were promised this place where we could just go and everything, like all the tech would be built out for us. There would be hundreds of thousands of users a month, probably millions at this point of users a month. We would have SEO built in. We would be like supporting this greater community of small makers and retailers there was this like ideal of Etsy that I think we, a lot of people in the creative um, product space have kind of been mourning in a way. And so that is one piece, right? It kind of feels like Instagram. Do you see what I mean? Like where there was kind of this promise and we got used to a certain way of using these platforms. And then the rules change. And all of a sudden, the people who have created the content, or the product that has made these platforms possible, and not only possible, but like interesting at all, are the ones who are being punished, for lack of a better word, or who are kind of being cut out of a deal. They're getting the raw end of a bad deal. So that just feels bad. Let's be frank. That just feels bad. And it's really hard to discount the weight that that puts on retailers and makers When you've gotten used to running your business a certain way, pivoting feels really uncomfortable. Change is really uncomfortable. And I think that all of us, whether you're a business owner or not, have been asked many, many times to change and pivot over, especially the last few years. And so having that happen again, especially when it comes to like the way that your business makes money is really scary. And so I've talked to a lot of people, dozens of people who are currently on Etsy or who use Etsy, at least in some capacity for their business. And my gut is to move, right? Get your own website, set up a Shopify site, get to a platform where you own your data you know clearly what the transaction fees are, you understand what's going on and you can start building your own traffic and your own audience. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to pull the plug on Etsy like tomorrow because that might be really scary too because there's like two pieces, right? There's there's not it's not as black and white as I think I wish it was right, because Etsy innately has a lot of traffic, right? If you're looking for a handmade gift, I know for me personally, Etsy is like one of the first places I go, or if I'm looking for something for my home, or if I'm looking for something specific, like they have incredible search capability, there's so many users on there, you can get reviews, it's a trusted like payment platform, there's all sorts of things about Etsy that do make it a valuable platform. However, there's also a lot of things that don't because I, at least for me personally, I like to know where my money is going, especially my money in my business. And I want to be able to kind of like direct the strategy. So let's say I know this is something that people talk about with Etsy all the time is that like occasionally they will offer a free shipping situation or they'll like ask you to discount something or ask you to offer free shipping to get more sales that's coming out of your pocket. And it's also like continuing to like put money into Etsy's pocket, right? Like there just feels like, feels like a bad love triangle. And so my advice is just Not necessarily to pull the plug completely because your business might be in the position where, right now, what's most effective for your sustainable sales strategy is to build awareness around your brand. And to build awareness around your brand and around your product, having those kind of like built in eyeballs to be able to build a platform, build a profile on a platform that already has traffic is smoother and maybe like a lower lift energetically, time-wise, creatively. If you're not someone who like likes tech, it's very straightforward. So that could be really valuable. That being said, I have also helped retailers start to pivot away from Etsy and it's really challenging to get customer data not like impossible by any means, but like, it's really hard to like export. You can't really export like your email addresses, like of the people who've purchased from you. So again, you have to think about that, like direct audience, right? Etsy technically doesn't own those profiles necessarily, but you don't have easy access to them either. And so, I think getting to a point where you're utilizing Etsy to build awareness and build up your brand and get your products out there is awesome, but make sure you're utilizing tools outside of that just as let's call it an insurance policy. I am a huge fan. I've said it many times, and I will say it many more. I'm a huge fan of Shopify. I think it's very, very user-friendly. It's growing significantly. It can really grow with your business, which I think is incredibly valuable. And again, I don't want to say it's a known quantity because it might not be either, but at least the power is in your hands for the decision-making. And again, they can coexist. I know tons and tons and tons of makers who have both an Etsy profile and a Shopify site or their own e-commerce site. Just because they want their Instagram to push to their, or their email list to push to the site that they make more money on. And I think that's smart. And so that would be my advice. If it's feeling more than just annoying, like if it's feeling like Etsy is fully taking advantage of you, or that you are like an employee of Etsy basically because of how much money they're getting off of your labor do move quickly right do get to that fancy footwork and i mean here's the thing if you're only making after you know the cost of goods to actually make the product that you're selling plus all of the fees if you're really only making like a 20 or 30% margin if you moved to your own website like a shopify and we're making a 50% margin, you wouldn't have to make many more sales to be making this, to be taking home the same amount of money. See what I mean? Like, let's say you're making, I don't know, a thousand (laughs) dollars a month on Etsy. And that is like your, that's your net. So if a thousand dollars is 20%, Uh, That means we're at like $5,000 in sales from Etsy and you're taking home $1,000 a month. You'd only have to make $2,000 a month in sales to get the same $1,000 take home if your margins were at 50%. And I want to bet that you could probably make that happen. So just something to consider. this is where I love the analytics side of things because it helps put into perspective for someone like me and I assume many of you who is creative and can feel a little bit like I could see it both ways. I think the numbers can kind of clarify like what would feel more easeful, what would feel more joyful? what would make you feel more empowered? So that's my hot take on Etsy as of this moment. In the future, maybe you're like, what even is Etsy? Makers just like burned it down and started their own amazing commune on the internet. (laughs) That would be great. I hope that's what happened. The second question that we have about money, this is a juicy one. I'm going to try to be quick. The question that I get a lot is how the hell... (laughs) What in the hell, how in the hell do I create an open to buy budget or a buying budget overall? And this is a really, oh God, it's complicated, right? There is a formula that exists that you can use to get an open to buy budget. So for those of you who are listening, open to buy means how much money do I have available to buy inventory for the store based on my revenue goals based on the inventory we already have based on the markdowns, the discounts, the returns, the things that I anticipate. And it's really no joke, right? Like putting this together is not a walk in the park, I'll say. So And open to buy is essentially like the difference between how much inventory you need versus how much inventory you have, right? So everyone knows that if you have a sales goal of $20,000 this month, and you only have $15,000 worth of inventory, it's going to be really hard to hit that goal, right? Can't sell what you don't have. So The calculation, I'm just going to say it, we can put it in the show notes too, but it's just, I want to say it so that you understand. So it's your planned sales, your sales goal, plus your anticipated markdowns, plus your anticipated end of month inventory, minus your planned beginning of the month inventory, right? So basically how much do you think you're going to sell are there going to be any markdowns or discounts or anything like that and then really like how much inventory is there right and how much inventory is there left at the end of the month so there are formulas out there however i think the reason this question always comes up is because like they don't always feel totally right <laughs> you know like this calculation, there's a lot that this doesn't take into consideration, like how quickly you'd like to grow, if your sales goal is actually realistic, how much money is in your bank account, if you're buying the right kind of inventory, um, what the demand is for certain products. Like, there's a lot that calculations and formulas just don't, can't take into account. Right? It's not an algorithm. It's just a math equation and so it can helpful can be helpful to calculate like an open to buy for rolling orders or restocks it can also be really useful to set budgets before you go to like a huge show or on a buying trip or before you're like placing an order with your manufacturer that being said i recommend using these kind of formulas as like a tool to learn and sort of like test your own assumptions before you apply it. So this the biggest problem I mean inventory management is one of the biggest problems I think in independent small business retail business because if you don't have enough, you can't sell enough, and if you have too much, you don't have any cash, right? And it's just sitting there and it's wasted money and odds are you know, we don't all, we don't have a 100% hit rate, right? Like we, there are some dogs, there are some dogs. Sometimes there's amazing like sleepers, but there are also some things that you're like, I thought that was going to be really cool. And it actually sucks. Nobody wants it. <laughs> and so some of these formulas, it's like, I've worked on this with clients, the number it'll spit out. It's like ridiculous, right? Like, it'll be like, you have $20,000 to spend open to buy this month. And it's like, but look around, look around your space, look around your studio, your store, your back office. Do you feel like you have enough product? Does the store look empty? Is there stuff to talk about? Do you have the things that people are asking for? You know, I think that there's like an intuitive piece of the analytics puzzle that is often really, really, I mean, often, that is missed completely by sort of mainstream, you know, kind of like, this is how you do retail, right? Because you might not need to spend $20,000, you might need permission to do a $5,000 restock or something. But if there's product that hasn't gotten its spotlight or, you know, that you still feel really excited about or that's seasonally appropriate, like by all means, sell what you got. That being said, I know that it's really important to cash flow and to buying to like know what you're buying and have the permission slip, right? We all want to just get the assignment. And so it's really just a matter of, Getting comfortable with the idea of looking at how much inventory you have at the beginning of the month, how much inventory you have left at the end of the month, and how much inventory you brought in during the month, right? During the month, how much came and went. And start to notice, even over the first couple of months, what feels like a comfortable level. This is going to change throughout your year. As we all know, there are high busy seasons, and there are low, slow seasons. And so that number changes the numbers individually of like how much product comes in and how much product goes out are going to change probably pretty drastically. But in terms of what number feels like a comfortable amount of inventory to be converting people, where people are coming in, they're finding something to buy, they're finding a couple of things to buy, and they're buying them right? Like that's, that's kind of the first test of inventory. And so the two numbers that I actually think are a little bit more helpful are inventory to sales ratio, which are inventory to sales ratio is the relationship between your inventory value and your total sales. So basically, you take your average inventory divided by your net sales. And that is the number that you're going to get. And the number that you're going to get is the amount of dollars in inventory that it takes to make $1 in sales. So this calculation is actually, I think, really amazing at giving you a sense of how effective you're being with your buying dollars and with your floor or storage space. So the lower the inventory to sales ratio is, the more efficient you're being. So the longer period of time you look at it, the lower the ratio is going to be looking at it month over month can be helpful in terms of planning peaks and valleys throughout the year. Looking at it quarter to quarter or year to year will be a better judgment of your general efficiency in terms of buying, especially if you make any significant changes to your inventory at any point. This is a number we look at with clients. If they are starting to like lean a little bit heavier into one category or another, or if there's like, you know, a new introduction of a category or something that takes up a lot of floor space, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of reasons you'd compare these two things. But to me, if I were to psychoanalyze, (laughs) if I were to be a little armchair expert over here, I would say that most of the time when someone is wondering about an open to buy, first of all, make sure you're talking to your Financial professional, a bookkeeper, or someone regularly about your balance sheet, about your profit and loss, right? Get the clarity on the money. But in terms of setting an open to buy, like for small businesses, it's, I don't think, necessary. It's more important that you have a sense of your inventory to sales ratio to understand your efficiency. Because if you're doing your buying intuitively, And you're doing it based on like how full the store is and maybe some reports that you're pulling of like what was selling last year or what are people asking for, et cetera, et cetera. I actually think that like, it's probably more of a confidence boost to know, am I being efficient rather than getting a formula to spit out a number that like doesn't take into consideration all those things I listed at the beginning, right? That's how we get into trouble buying too much stuff. So If you want to do the formula and if you want to track it amazing, if you want to look at an open to buy great, I would just say, start tracking your inventory value on the first of every month, see the peaks and valleys, notice the peaks and valleys, notice how it feels in store and get comfortable with looking at your inventory to sales ratio. So those are our money questions. They're juicy ones. Clearly I've already been rambling on for a little while. The second bucket that we're answering questions in today is about marketing. So the first question that I get a lot is based on our, um, retails magic numbers. So if you listen to the analytics or self-care episode or the date with your data episode, which is in season two, you will know that I am a freak a leak for numbers and the three numbers I suggest that retailers look at in addition to just like top line total sales are your traffic numbers, how many people visit you, whether walk that means walking in your door or coming to your website, how many of those people convert. So what's your conversion rate? How many people of a hundred people who walk into a store, your store out of 100 people who walk into your store, how many of them buy? That's your conversion rate. And your average order value on average, how much are they spending? So those three numbers together are going to add up essentially your traffic multiplied by your conversion rate, multiplied by your average order value is going to give you your total sales. And so that's how we kind of start to build sales goals. But if you're running your numbers, you're running your analytics and you're like, wait, all of these are low. What do you do? right? Because something we talk about is like, that's a great way to help you focus, right? If you look at the numbers, and you're like, man, my average order value looks pretty good. My traffic number is looking pretty healthy. But I'm noticing my conversion rate is lower than it was this time last year, then you know, to focus on your conversion rate, you can merchandise, you can have an event, you can do a pop up, you can do like a bundling deal, you can work on your customer service, like, right, you can kind of see where I'm going here. Once you can pinpoint the problem, you can create an amazing solution. However, if you're looking at all of the numbers and you're like, none of those look good, um, where do you start? And in my mind, it's very clear that... In my mind, it's always traffic, right? Right? Start to drive more traffic and see what happens, right? Because that's the top, if you think of it like a funnel, a sales funnel, that is the top of the funnel, right? You can't sell to people who aren't there, right? It is not an if they build it, if you build it, they will come situation. You have to drive interest to your website or to your physical brick and mortar location or to your pop up or to your market or wherever you are. So, I always think if you're not happy with any of the numbers and you want them all to grow, start with traffic because you're going to see, okay, if I get, if I'm driving traffic, what happens then? Right? Because if you have a small pool, it's kind of the same thing with like any kind of like polling. There's a certain point where it just doesn't make sense to take data of a group of 10 people and say that it's representative of 10,000 people, right? So work on traffic first, driving interest, driving eyeballs, driving foot traffic to your products and see, is that where is my conversion rate going? If I'm driving more people and they're the right people, is that conversion rate rising alongside it, right? Are they related? If not, I always suggest then go to conversion rate, right? If you're like, Hey, we're getting a lot of traffic, but the conversion rate's still low, then move on, right? As you can kind of imagine it, you can't see me, but (laughs) but I'm making like a kind of like a pinching motion with my fingers to um, illustrate a funnel. So start with traffic, then it goes to conversion rate because you can't convert people who aren't there, right? So I always think that building awareness driving interest, getting in front of more people, having more conversations, not only is that going to like reflect well on your numbers, but it's also going to give you even more insight into the questions that people have, what people are looking for, what messages resonate um, with your users, your customers. That was an easy one. Not easy, but start with traffic. The second marketing question that we have is... (laughs) In my notes, I just want you to know I wrote, I am not leveraging my email list. And then in all caps, help. That's something we hear a lot, right? So we hear a lot that indie retailers have so many email addresses. They have a newsletter sign up, they have a little like email list uh, sign up sheet at their cash wrap. They have collected all sorts of emails and yet they are not communicating with their email list. So don't panic, right? Panicking is only going to make you want to email them even less. It's going to make you put it off and put it off and put it off. So what you're going to do is you're going to commit to maybe one email a month to start. It's only 12 emails a year. You can totally do it. I feel like you're going to like it. So you'll probably end up doing more than that, but just Start slow, one a month, and the first one you're going to send is like, hey, it's been a while, right? Here's what we've been up to. You don't want to come in hot with a super salesy email if you have been kind of like crickets on your email list. You want to make sure that you are kind of reintroducing yourself. Maybe you're reminding people how they got on your list. Um, Maybe you're sending them like a little gift being like, hey, like, I can't believe I ghosted you. Here's 10% off. We're going to start sending these monthly newsletters just to let you know what we're up to. Like be a human, right? I don't think you can go wrong, right? I don't think you can go wrong when you're a little bit upfront, a little cheeky, a little honest. I will say again, armchair expert here that oftentimes the question is not like, how do I send an email? Right. Or like, they know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say like, if you're not leveraging your email list and you want to, because I think you should, then I think you should just send an email. And then all of a sudden, look at that you're leveraging it. But I think the worry there is like actually more about like the rejection of potentially seeing a lot of unsubscribes. And Let me just tell you, unsubscribes are super normal. I unsubscribe from things all the time because my inbox is crazy and it's never personal. I don't think I've ever seen anything where I've been like, I hate this person and I never want to see them again. Unsubscribe. Um, it's really just a matter of like, this isn't serving me anymore, or like, I'm not interested in this product anymore, or I'm not getting value from this. And that's okay. Right. Because if they don't even want to receive an email from you, odds are they're not going to want to buy your product. And that's not always the case. Some people just really don't like email. And that's totally cool. If you want to follow on Instagram, if you still want to support the brand, amazing. But if you don't want me in your inbox, like I don't want to be there. Right, it's kind of like going to a party. You're like, if if someone at the last minute was like, "Yeah, you should totally just tag along. Like, you should come to this party," and you're like, oh, "Did you ask the host?" And they're like, "No, no, no, you should come though." It's like, no, I don't want to do that. Right? Like, that makes me feel weird. Like, I want the permission to be in someone's space, and if they're not feeling it anymore, unsubscribing is like a great thing to do for both of us. Most of the time email service providers are charging based on the number of subscribers you have anyways. So if someone's like not interested in hearing from you or they're not going to open an email let alone click something and buy something or engage or respond to you or forward it to a friend then like cool. Like wishing you nothing but the best. Love that for you. Love that boundary you're setting. Just try to reframe the relationship with the unsubscribe. Again, maybe that's not the specific question I wanted to answer. But I think that like leveraging an email list is really straightforward. The best thing to do is just be transparent and decide whether you want to just say like, Hey, what's up? As a reminder, this is who we are. This is how you got on this list. I in our welcome email, we make it very clear what we're about. And we put the unsubscribe link, like, very front and center. Like, if that's not what you're about, if you're not into like swear words and pop culture references and anti capitalist beliefs and hating on Jeff Bezos and occasionally like hot takes and tough truths about running a small business, then. We're probably not your people and that's totally okay. I hope you find them, but I don't need. I am also reframing my relationship, right? I I am trying to get to a place where I don't feel like I need to please everyone. And that's really hard, but we're doing it. And so I think the best thing you can do is just say like, Hey, remember me? Here we are. I'm going to be back soon and actually come back soon right? Don't be scared. Rip the bandaid, send the email and tell me about it. I want to hear, I want to cheer on your email list. I love email so much. You guys. Okay. Last section is about mental health. It's no surprise. The last few years have been really tough on small businesses. And mental health is one of the most important resources I think any entrepreneur can consider when running their business, right? We're not doing, I mean, hello, my company is called Feel Good Retail. I want everyone to feel as good as possible running their retail shop, their product-based business. So, you know, I had to do a couple of questions just about like mental health and mental capacity. Number one. I get this question regularly when I talk about delegation is I am a solo printer or I'm a solo operator. How do I know when it's time to hire and where am I just being inefficient with my time? Such a good question. So my personal favorite way to prepare to hire is to notice, start noticing, even if you don't even feel Even if you're not feeling super like burnt out or flat out or overwhelmed, it's probably that's probably the good time to start. Start keeping a list. I used to have one on my phone of all the things that you could easily delegate that like don't have to be you, right? And that doesn't mean you're going to hire for all of them, but just start to notice during your week when you're shipping boxes or scheduling meetings or reordering supplies or sweeping the stoop, like start to notice and keep a list of like, what are the things that I don't necessarily have to be the one doing? And that doesn't mean you're going to delegate them, but it's possible that you could, right? Because there are certain things that like only you can do at this point, right? you may be able to grow, you may find the perfect hire, you may be able to delegate way more in the future. But there are probably some things like maybe designing product or doing the buying or managing customer relationships or things like that, that like, really feel critical to you. And that also are like inside of your unique expertise. Those are things that you're probably not going to give away right? So start to make a list of the other things that you could. And I think you'll be surprised how many things there are. And again, that doesn't mean you're hiring like a huge team of people to take off every single piece of work. But I do think having a sense of like what you could delegate and being able to look at the list and group them into certain categories like, oh, this is a marketing task. This is an admin task. This is X, Y, Z you could very easily get a sense of like, what things are most draining to you. And maybe that's your first hire, right? The second thing about getting ready to hire, and this is pulled from the book profit first. But I did this when I was hiring Liza. And it really, really felt helpful for me. Because as we've covered a couple times this season, I am a little stressed about money. Who is it? What? Well, show me a small business owner who is not stressed about money, and I will show you an incredibly well-adjusted human. Um, but before I hired Liza full time, I was in the practice for about maybe two or three months. Of every time, every other week, when I assumed there would be a pay cycle, I would take what I thought that salary was going to be, and I would put it in a separate account. So I just had a savings account linked to my business checking and you know every 2 weeks I would go in I'd do my bills for the business every 2 weeks and I would take that money that I had budgeted or in my mind what her salary would be and I would put it away into the savings. I could still touch it. I had no job offer for her yet. I didn't even have a job description yet, but I knew I wanted someone at a level like her level, right? I didn't want someone entry level. I wanted someone who came with expertise, who I was pretty confident could just hit the ground running. And that was really helpful because it showed me where the business needed to grow in order for me to make that decision comfortably. It also showed me that it was possible sooner than I think just thinking about it would have, right? Like I didn't, there was no time in those few weeks or those few months that I thought to myself, like, I don't have the money to put this away. Like I had it. It's just the investment. And that's scary. And then by the time she started, I had this nice little nest egg to get her rolling. Right. And know that in that onboarding period, When you are doing a lot of training and there isn't a lot of action happening from your new employee, which you shouldn't expect, right? Training is a real thing. Onboarding is a real thing. I had that kind of like money squirreled away. So it didn't feel like as tight as it could have. So if you're looking to hire, I would highly recommend those things Starting to make a list of the things you think you could delegate or would be interested in delegating and start putting aside just whatever you're budgeting for that hire for a couple of months. See how it feels. When it comes to being inefficient with your time, I am a big fan of batching and grouping similar activities. So it's not always possible and it definitely doesn't happen for like the full day. But for me, I do my best work personally in the morning. And so I try not to schedule meetings before like 10 or 11am. And I really try to work, try being the keyword here doesn't always happen. I've been trying to work between like eight and 10 or eight and 11 just on like a specific group of tasks. So sometimes that's one task and it's like, Hey, you need to outline the podcast or like outline and record the podcast, right? Let's say that's one activity. So sometimes it's that one thing. And other times it's like, Hey, I've got a bunch of financial stuff I need to do. So I'm just going to do it in these two hours so that I can just be like in financial mode. Because I think that the inefficiency comes from when we try to go from like a creative conversation to a technical conversation to like, whatever, maybe we have to call like the IRS or something. And then we have to like manage our employee, right? There's like all of these things happening and we're wearing so many hats that sometimes the jumping between different mindsets, I think is what, at least for me feels really exhausting. So I always try to recommend, I know in the shop, if you're in a physical shop, it's super hard to anticipate what the day is going to be like. And I think that that's why I got in the habit of doing these kind of like chunks of time almost like before work, quote unquote, or during a time where I was, I knew for a fact it would be very unlikely that someone would would interrupt me because I would just be able to put my head down for like two hours and really get through like, I'm going to wear my CEO hat or I'm going to wear my like financial hat. And I'm going to do all of those things as opposed to like mixing it all together all the time. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's something that really helps me in terms of like where I'm being inefficient. And again, especially as it relates to like, am I burning myself out and I need to delegate or am I just being inefficient? Right? Like there's a lot of emotion tied up in both of those things right? There's like our need to be productive. There's like just a sense that we know what we're doing, like inefficiencies always, at least for me, feel like very like a failure to be efficient. And that feels bad. Um, but I also think that like the hiring thing also brings up like a lot of scarcity or fear or, uh, confusion, all those things. So it's a, it's a, really tricky spot to be in and I sincerely empathize and sympathize with this question because I feel it too. Um, but I would say overall, just like preparing yourself, getting as prepared as possible, being as realistic about like the expectation and the vision as possible before you start interviewing is critical. And I think in terms of like deciding if you really do need a even to decide between part-time or full-time support, it's really helpful to kind of get yourself into a place where you have like a system that works for you, even if it's flexible, right? Like, like I just said, sometimes I take meetings at 10. Sometimes I don't take meetings until noon, right? Because it'll depend on the tasks that I'm trying to get done or what mindset I have to be in. And allowing myself the space to like be really focused on not necessarily one task, but one type of task has been just game changing for me. The last question from our mental health section is what should I do when something horrible is happening in the world and I have to market my products I sympathize with this a lot too. I'm going to try to keep my answer short and sweet because I could certainly talk about this for a long, long, long time. I think it's important to talk with your community about the things that you care about, especially when the rights of your fellow human beings are being taken away right now. In May of 2022, we're talking about Roe versus Wade potentially being abolished by the Supreme Court. That's kind of how this question has been coming up for these last few months. But it kind of feels like every season, there's another travesty that those of us who are running small businesses are trying to navigate. And it's really challenging, because we're human beings who are individually responsible for our businesses. There's not a board meeting. There's not like a chain of command. There's not a protocol or a process. There's just our gut feeling. And when our hearts are broken, it's really hard to show up online and try to sell stuff. It's really hard to show up online. And I don't know that I have an amazing answer for this aside from this is why it's so important to bake your values and your mission and your morals in some ways, your beliefs into the business In whatever way that looks for you, because I think when your customers or your audience or your community members know you and know what you care about, the need to react to every news cycle becomes less intense. It becomes duller. Not because you care less, but because you don't have to perform your opinion. And maybe that sounds harsh. Maybe it's because I'm recording this late at night and I can't think of a better way to say it. But like, if your customers know what you stand for, then you don't always have to be standing up. You don't always have to be raising your hand. You don't always have to be shouting. You can say what you need to say, and you can take action in whatever way feels most in integrity for you and most right for that situation. But you don't always have to be convincing if it's already baked in, if it's baked into and integrated into and woven into the DNA of your business, then the pressure isn't there as much. And I think that without that pressure to show up and perform our feelings about these horrible things that happen in the world and that we do to each other, I think without that pressure there, you actually give yourself space to like feel how you feel about it. Cause I know for me, like being totally candid the abortion issue is a really a really tough one for me. I believe very 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 strongly in a woman's right to choose. And you know, I showed up, I posted a few things. I posted things that I felt like were relevant to my audience, which is indie retailers. And so I was trying to help navigate how to have conversations, how to share things, how to be political, why it's okay to be political. But honestly, I needed my own space. Like I didn't have the capacity to be available to other people during that time. So I didn't, I couldn't say much because I had to like be there for myself first. And like, maybe in some ways that looked like I wasn't paying attention. But like, I think anyone who knows us and knows feel good retail, like knows or could assume how I felt about it you know, feel good retail is all about freedom and creating freedom for indie retailers and creative entrepreneurs who want a new way of being in business. And I mean, bodily autonomy is like the ultimate and also most basic freedom. So that's hard, right? I didn't want to be on the internet. I didn't want to make reels. I didn't want to talk about retail. I also didn't want to talk about the news. I just didn't want to talk. I needed to hold space for myself first. And that's okay too. But I think that I was, I didn't feel as panicked because I feel like I've made my values pretty clear. So that's just a personal anecdote, but I hope that that helps for anyone who feels like they're in this constant reaction because I hate to say it, but I just don't think that like the news is going to get better. (laughs) I think we're in a really troubling place. And I think that there's always going to be something that is infuriating and upsetting and fills us with rage and confuses us and breaks our hearts. Maybe not always, maybe not consistently, but they come and they go. And I think that having to react and respond and perform and show up super hyper specifically to each individual instance will be necessary sometimes, but is also going to put you in a position where the line gets blurry. And I think it's just important to just be loud and proud and clear about the things that your business stands for, because again, then it's then it's there. There's no denying it and there's no question, right? There's no like, oh, I should check their story to see if they spoke out about XYZ, right? It's just like, oh, I think that I know how they feel. That's my two cents, my 10 cents, if you will. So, because I don't want to leave you on that heavy note, especially considering it was the mental health question section, I want to answer another question. One last bonus that I feel like I get a lot and that is going to lead us into our mini series that's coming for the month of June. So that question is, what is your number one tip for indie retailers who are looking to grow? What do you think? What do you think I'm going to say? You're probably like Clevio. Yes, I love Clevio and I love email and I will never shut up about it but I want to zoom even further out than that. And I want to talk about building community. I want to talk about how you go from someone who is brand new to your business. Never heard of you before. doesn't follow you on Instagram. Maybe their friend recommended them to you. Maybe they found you like at a market or another vendor or something. You Get an introduction. How do you win them over? How do you fall in love with your customers? And how do you get them to fall in love with you? And all of that is through building incredibly compassionate, creative, authentic relationships. And I think that there's a very structured way to do that so that you don't have to do it one by one by one. I have talked about this in workshops before, maybe not on the podcast, about how my first real full-time role in retail. I was managing a high-end luxury business. We did not have e-commerce. We did not have a website. We did not do any marketing. (laughs) I was literally doing one-to-one clienteling, writing thank you notes, making phone calls, writing emails. Like I was like 24 years old selling goods that, you know, I still think about to this day, probably, you know, have a few regrets of things I didn't buy. We all do that. Um, But I think about myself as like this 23 year old managing this beautiful shop, selling beautiful, beautiful things. I loved the people who shopped there. I loved the clients so much. And it's because I like really built relationships with them and doing it one to one was really inefficient for a couple of reasons. It was inefficient because all day, every day, I was either clientele or I was working with a client. And so if it was a busy day, I wasn't setting myself up for success the next day, right? So if it was busy and I couldn't be making my phone calls and couldn't be sending my emails and couldn't be writing my thank you notes, then I wouldn't be getting the traffic that I needed in a couple of days. That's not efficient it also wasn't efficient because it become became very like reliant on me. So if I wasn't there one day, if I was at one of the other shops and someone was at the shop that I was mainly at and a customer who I had reached out to came in, there was all of this mis miscommun- misunderstanding, right? Like what did she email you about? We don't have that anymore. I don't, you know, I think, um, if you, are a brick and mortar shop owner um or if you're just the the founder of a business and you build relationships with people i'm sure many of you have had the experience where someone comes in and is like hey is janine here today and your sales associate is like no she is today off or no she's at our other location or no she's crying in the bathroom or whatever and that person's like oh, okay i'll just come back ugh like a knife to the heart because a likely the other person is just as capable and just as amazing of a salesperson, but there's all of this data and all of this information that's just like lost. And so there's a lot of inefficiency there. And I, what got me really excited about retail was the fact that it was like sales mit- sales, which I love because I'm like a little bit competitive. And I like, I just like it. I love product. I love connecting people with the products that they are excited about. Um, and also, I really like talking to people, even though I would consider myself an introvert, I really do like being in service. And so I fell in love with retail in that way, right? So All of this is to say my number one tip for retailers just starting out is focus on the relationships, focus on getting them to fall in love with you, not just because of you and not just because of the product, but because of like what the business is, the stories you're telling the ways you're pulling them in the ways you're kind of growing this like symbiotic relationship as opposed to one where it's just like transactional. And so for the weeks in June, we are going to be talking about the four stages of building a community, especially in retail, and some of the tips and tricks that I have for each stage. I am so excited. This is like, definitely something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And it's also going to lead into something else that is very, very, very exciting. But if you want to hear about that, You're going to have to tune in next week for the first episode of our series on community building for retailers. Until then, cheers to feeling good. Thanks for being here. I love you so much. Retail for the rest of us is a podcast by feel good retail. If you'd like to learn more about how we can help you scale and grow your shop in a way that, well, feels good you can visit us at feelgoodretail.com. The show is produced by Softer Sound Studio. And if you'd like to support our independently run, woman-powered podcast, you can leave us a five-star review, take a screenshot, share it to social media, tell your shop BFFs, or join our retail resource library, a communal space for indie retailers to access resources and tools that will support their shops. For just $5 a month, you can not only support the show, but get access to an archive of our most popular resources and exclusive seasonal content. We'd love to see you in there. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Cheers to feeling good.